you know, God promised Abram that he would have a son. And Abram is not a young spring chicken. He's an older man. So is his wife, Sarah. She was barren for many years. So does he believe it? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible. Genesis 15, we're going to look at that today. This is very interesting. As we study this, we're going to hear about the faith of Abram. Very good. That's coming up in three minutes. Corey in 15. Corey? I'm going to be airing the uh, another part of my interview with Dr. Douglas Petrovich on his identification of Nimrod of Genesis 10. Ryan? Today, Dr. Don Batten of Creation Ministries International joins me to talk about the age of the universe and how it affects theology. Don Batten is a great guy. He's excellent. One of my favorites. Anyway, okay, Janice, we have a question. It's our very first Friday wrap-up question of the year, 2024. Anywhere from Genesis 1 through 17. Hope you're ready. Genesis 15, 1 through 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven 
and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. You know, Israel is a nation that is unique today because it did not come from man's mind. It came from the divine tongue of God. And Genesis 14, 15, 16, and 17 is what we read with our emphasis on chapter 15 today. With the introduction of Abram, we see a shift in the story of the Bible. We've gone from the history of mankind to the history of God's people. God's plan of redemption for mankind is beginning to take shape. Abram from Ur of Chaldees is called away from his homeland and his father's house to travel to the area of the world that is today a place we call Israel. God makes a covenant with him over that land. God is going to give the land to Abram's descendants. In fact, even the name Israel was given by God, but we will see that later in Genesis. Right now, we need to explore the covenant, the promise that God made to Abram, who will later be called Abraham. In their old age, Abraham and his wife Sarah would have a son. And his name would be Isaac, which means laughter, from whom would come the people of Israel. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. And, and I, I need to tell you that I cannot think of a better time to study the name Israel and the nation Israel than right now. And as we focus on this, I want to remind you to get your Bible guide when you do uh, your Bible guide is just uh, tells you what the most important book of all is, the Bible, and leads you through it. So that's very, very critical. If you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, you can click on the page. When you do, it takes you to a place where you can download it exactly how we printed it. Very interesting. As we focus on this, we need to consider what God is saying to us. This covenant, what's with this, what, what is a covenant, you know? It's a good question. Father, I pray today that in this world where we don't have covenants, we have promises and business contracts, but, but a covenant is a sacred thing, Lord. Help us to renew our minds in what the promise means. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. And amen. Now, with that in mind, let's go to the scripture and learn what it says. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. That's the first thing that God says to him. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I'm your shield and your reward. But Abram said to the Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, 
the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Oh, that's preposterous. That's crazy. God promises Abram, whose old age, in his old age, that he would produce a son from his own body. God's promises often seem impossible. And let me tell you something. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but Abram was old and Sarah, his wife, was old and she was barren. It didn't look good for them. I mean, all of the uh, evidence there was, uh, well, there's no way that can happen. That can, God will have to do it another way. And that's actually how this begins. And, and it's important for us to understand that God calls us into a covenant because it's impossible for anybody to fulfill that covenant except God. Because God can do the impossible. Isn't that amazing? Well, let's read on because this gets very, very good as we focus on chapter 15, verse 5. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven. Look at the skies and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be and believe in the Lord. And he counted it, accounted it to him for righteousness. Amazing. God told Abram about the future of his family. They would be innumerable. Today, we witness the fulfillment of that promise in the land of Israel. In the land of Israel. We see the promise of God. We, see, we understand what's going on. There's nearly 10 million people there. It's incredible. I mean, Jerusalem has a million people now. It's the most it's ever been populated. I mean, the country continues to grow. Absolutely stunning. God's promises are always fulfilled. They're not fulfilled necessarily in our lifetime, but they're fulfilled in God's decision to fulfill them. That becomes very important. Now, when we read verse 7, this gets interesting. Verse 7 says, very interesting, Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. He's giving him the land he's at. He's in Canaan, now called Israel. This is 2100 BC, okay? This is like 4,000 years ago. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And then he brought these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each side or each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And he, and when he, when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Talking about Egypt. Verse 14. And also the nation whom they will serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as far as you and as and you shall go up to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried 
at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that possessed between those pieces. On that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river Euphrates. Now listen to that, beloved. Listen to that. The covenant was a combination of God's promise and Abram's fulfillment of what God told him to do. You want to know something? Today, we see that promise in front of us. Now, from a biblical perspective, why do you think God made humans and apes look similar? Well, the same thing, same reason I think that there are similarities right through all living things, and that is we see a continuum, if you like, which speaks to us of one creator. If we're entirely different to every living, other living thing on earth, we had entirely different chemistry, entirely different everything, then we might think there's different creators. All right, guys, well, for the last time this week, I'm going to be showing you just a couple minutes of an hour-long interview that I hosted with Dr. Douglas Petrovich on his new book called Nimrod, the Empire Builder, Architect of Shock and Awe, in which he believes that he can historically identify Nimrod as a different figure in history. So today, you're going to be seeing a clip where he begins to explain himself why he believes Sargon of Akkad is a good fit for Nimrod of Genesis 10. Take a look. Okay, so not Inerta, not Amenhotep III, not Gilgamesh. So the thesis of your book really is resting on Sargon of Akkad, as you've, yes. as you've mentioned. And in your book, you take the reader really interestingly through five main categories of correspondence between the biblical life of Nimrod and the life of Sargon of Akkad. So you look at geographical and genealogical origins, military achievements, you look at building projects in Assyria, his lasting influence in Assyria, and then legendary, how he's legendary for his military exploits and his brutality. So could you maybe take us through some of these, these ways that Sargon of Akkad corresponds with biblical Nimrod? Yeah, let's start with the, geogra uh, the uh, geographical and genealogical origins. So, um, what we it, let's just assume for the sake of argument uh, that Sargon of Akkad, he's the right candidate. So if he's the right candidate, what do we know about his biography? One thing we know about him is that he came from the city of Kish. Think about that for a minute. He came from the city of Kish. I won't go into a lot of detail, but in that early dynastic period when kingdoms are really starting to rise and kings are becoming more powerful and they're fighting with one another. In that period, uh, one of the cities that quickly rises to great prominence is the city of Kish, oddly enough. And Sargon gets his start. You know, how do you get from just a normal person to someone in, in a place of political um, uh, importance, right? Well, he becomes the cupbearer to the king of Kish at a time when Kish is not maybe necessarily at its height, but still very, very 
powerful and a very important player on on the on the chessboard of the ancient world. So now, cupbearer doesn't mean to them what it, you would think it means to us. We would think you know kind of like a really lowly person, but the cupbearer has the equivalent in Egypt of a vizier, the second in command. That's how important a cupbearer is in Mesopotamia. So he has this really important position. And according to history, he doesn't take over uh, as a king for his father, right? In most cases, a king comes to the throne because his father was the king. And so there's this physical succession that goes on. So we're convinced that he was a usurper. Why? Because, because in his name, he, comp he, he, um, he purports to be um, a non-usurper, a legitimate king. Now, if you're claiming, if you're showing as your advertisement, I'm a legitimate king, what is that saying? You're you don't come from, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't come from legitimate stock. Yeah. I'm the you, real you deal. <laughs> yeah. There's no real, real deal here. Yeah. So, um, so he, by intrigue, he finds a way to the top in Kish. Now think about who Nimrod comes from. His line descends from Kush. Now, as we spell it in English, Ancient Kish, the city of Kish, is K-I-S-H. In the Bible, we usually write C-U-S-H for Kush. It easily could be a K. It doesn't have to be a C. We could have chosen a K. Just like with the ancient city, we choose a K. And vowels mean nothing in the ancient world because in virtually every ancient language, not only are vowels um, transferable, you, know, you can change the vowel from one language to another, but oftentimes languages aren't even written with vowels, like Hebrew is not written with vowels when originally right. composed. So, Corey, we don't even know if we've got the right vowel class for the first vowel that comes after the K consonant. So there you go. If you want to see uh, Dr. Petrovich's long answer, if you want to see how he fills in all of those blanks, then hop on over to my YouTube channel. The entire interview is up there right now for you to see if you're interested. This has been an excellent, excellent series that you've done with him, Corey. I look forward to more of your segments coming up, but outstanding job. Excellent. Thank you. Brian? All right, well, today and all month long, I'm featuring clips from my new set called The World by Design 3. And yesterday, I introduced you to Dr. Don Batten, who has a PhD in plant biology and is currently the senior scientist for Creation Ministries International Australia and one of the editors of Creation Magazine. And on yesterday's program, he talked about how he was challenged about his belief in the Bible and its teaching about a recent creation when he went to high school and university but he ended up coming out with his faith intact because he saw that the Bible and science were consistent. And if you want to see scientific evidence that the creation is indeed young, then you should check out his article called 101 Evidence for a Young Age of the Earth and Universe, which you can read on creation.com. But many Christians don't believe that the age of the earth is a big deal, but Dr. Don Batten disagrees. What does adding millions of years to the Bible do theologically? Well, that, that's, uh, that's the big thing. Uh, a lot of Christians like me, when I was trying to believe in millions of years and the Bible, didn't really think about the consequences. But if you think about th these fossils buried under our feet, which are supposed to be all these hundreds of millions of years old, they predate people. 
So and a record of death and suffering and disease, there's cancer in the fossils, there's cancer in dinosaur bones. Um, and so all this stuff supposed to been going on for hundreds of millions of years before people came on the scene. And then God said, everything's very good at the end of the creation process. I think, well, hang on a minute. There's death, suffering and disease and cancer and all these things and things killing and eating and devouring one another. Is this all very good? What sort of God do we, do we believe in? I don't believe in a God who would say that's very good, not the God revealed in the Bible. So it's a fundamental problem for the goodness of God. And many people ask the question today, how can there be so much death and suffering in the world if God is good? What's the answer? If you believe in the millions of years, then you don't have an answer because you say God created a world of death and suffering. But the Bible perspective is that God created a paradise and it was perfect. There was no death, suffering and disease. And it was even to the point that the uh, animals ate plants in the beginning before sin. So it was paradise. It was perfect. It was very good. Where did the death and suffering and disease come from? It came about because of sin, because the mankind's rebellion against God. And then you go to the New Testament and about the gospel and Jesus coming and Jesus the Messiah comes and uh, what does he do? He goes around, he's raising people from the dead and he's healing people from sicknesses. Why did the Messiah do that? Well, he, he's called the last Adam in the New Testament because the first Adam was the one who brought death, suffering and disease into the world. The Messiah, who's the last Adam, comes to undo what the first Adam did. And so he's raising people from the dead and healing people. And, and of course, he died for our sin to pay the price for the sin that came through Adam, that, which is death. So he died on the cross. Why did Jesus die physically on the cross? Because death, physical death came because of sin. When I was trying to believe in evolution and millions of years and be a Christian at the same time, I used to say, well, you know, Adam's sin brought spiritual death because I already believed death was here. So, but, but it's not spiritual death. It says from dust you came and to dust you return talking about physical death. And we say that at funeral services, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, a reminder that death is an intruder in God's very good world. So how much is undermined by trying to marry the two together? Everything, when you think about it. I mean, the, uh, the integrity of scripture, the reliability of scripture, how do we understand what the Bible says? If you can't understand these things in a, in a straightforward manner and the way in which Jesus understood them and the apostles understood them and how everybody's understood them until recent times. You know, is the Bible up for grabs? You can make it say whatever you like. So hermeneutics, how do we understand the Bible? I mean, the goodness of God, the gospel, uh, eschatology, what's going to happen in the future? There's going to be new heavens and new earth. Why? Why does God need to, need to create a new heavens and new earth if this is the way he created it? <laughs> It just undermines everything. So when you think about it, and I didn't think about it, that's the thing. And a lot of, I, I'm afraid a lot of Christians don't think about it. They just sort of have pigeonholed it. This is the answer and let's, let's talk about something else. I, th I, think, I think a lot of Christians are afraid of the issue. They think that if they dive into it, they find that they can't believe the Bible. And I think that's sad because if they dive into it, they find they can believe the Bible. Hmm. So I hope that you enjoyed that interview. And remember, all these interviews I'm sharing with you are a part of this video set called The World by Design 3, which is available now, both as a physical DVD set or as a digital download. It's about seven hours of material, and it's for a suggested donation 
of $60. And we just want to thank you so much for your support. Yeah, we do want to thank you for your support. Now, you ask Don, Dr. Don, a question. Mm-hmm. Very good question on Monday. So the Monday program, you need to be here for this. Here's the question that he asked. Yeah, I asked him is if humans and apes are really 99% similar. Because we've heard that before. So we've heard that human yeah. and uh, they're similar. It's the same, but you know. Okay, very interesting. So that's our cliffhanger for Monday. That, yeah, <laughs> it you is. You want to tune in. You, they have to watch Monday. So there you go. All right. Or put your PBR, set your PBR to it. Uh, or <laughs> right. you're going, get ready, go on the internet and you can get it. All right, go ahead. So if you're a new viewer, here's what we do every Friday. We take what we've read that week and I get to choose a question from that section of the Bible. And I put Ryan and Corey on the spot and you at home too. So today we've only had five days to read. So it's a little bit shorter. But according to the Bible, Ryan and Corey, mm-hmm. and you are at home, how old was Noah when the floodwaters were on the earth? According to the Bible, how old was Noah when the floodwaters were on the earth? Was he 300, 400, or 600 years old? What do you think? Hmm. Well, there's a few different uh, numbers given for Noah because different mm-hmm. things happen to him, but yeah. 600, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems awfully old. It does. Hmm. Well... If you didn't get the answer right, I'm going to tell you what it is. Don't worry, because every Friday we have a new question. And if you're ever asked this question again, after we hear what the answer is, you'll know it for sure. Okay, so according to the Bible, how old was Noah when the floodwaters were on the earth? 300, 400, or 600? 600 sounds awfully old. That's what Ryan and Corey went with. Let's listen to Genesis 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. That's an old guy. That is. 600 so, years. Experienced. It's an experienced <laughs> yes. right. person. Well, what That's was right. it? Yeah. It was like, what, 350 years that it took to construct? Yeah. Well, no, it, was it? Something no, like that. Well, no, it, like no, it, it, it was less than that. It was, but, it's, we've only got five seconds, oh, but it was right. five seconds. 120 years or less. I see. Okay. <laughs> Still a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the Beyond the Call program is a great program. I interview people about when they came to know Jesus Christ, when his name became more than just a word to them. It is a great program and they are available wherever you get your podcast, wherever you get your Bible Discovery TV podcast, look for Beyond the Call and uh, get a hold of that. I encourage you to do so. Today we pray, Lord, I praise you for all that you are, all that you have done and all that you're going to do in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what we say, amen.